are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. I know that we live in a materialistic society, but let me tell you, when I went to Korea, I feel like what's going on here is just child's play. Man. In Korea, I had the opportunity to kind of walk around the city and get lost, and that's how apparently they encourage you to learn Korean, is by getting lost. And so you're forced to you know, interact with strangers. But there's a whole street devoted to you know, cosmetic surgery. There's whole streets dedicated to like cosmetic surgery and, and, and things like that. And so it was, just, it was just astounding, I guess. But as it does anywhere else and everywhere else in the world, status symbols are important in a materialistic society because it tells us who's who and defines that person's place in their society and culture. Someone drives up in a brand new expensive car, wears expensive clothes, we get impressed. Maybe some of you guys are like, I don't get too impressed here, but a lot of people certainly do. And so without even asking, we start treating that rich or that well-dressed or cosmetically enhanced person differently, better oftentimes actually. Because they've announced in a way that because of who they are and what they have, they now somehow deserve to be treated differently. When I was in Korea, I stayed in two places there. I stayed there for one, three months. But in those three months, I stayed in two different locations. One week, I would be out in the country, country, countryside where it was all just cows, the smell of cows, and the sound of cows. The other place was probably the complete opposite. It was one of the most priciest addresses in all of Korea. Neither place was anything of my doing. I was just staying there through the generosity of a couple family friends. And, um, well, when I stayed in Seoul, Korea, the apartment I was staying in was this really swank, celebrity-filled, allegedly celebrity-filled place. I couldn't tell the difference. They all <laughs> looked the same to me, to be honest. And one person actually got really mad for not recognizing them there. Too, but that's another story for a different time. But I remember that apartment. It was just really cool, really modern, really just expensive. And, and one of my personal pleasures, I like cars. I'm a car guy. And so I'll just kind of sneak into the underground parking area and just check out the cars because it was like a car show every single day. You see Bentleys and Rolls Royces, Mercedes, Jaguars, a Maserati here and there. Well, one day, as I was leaving the apartment and I was walking outside, the moment I stepped outside the apartment and I had all my gear ready, I was like a typical tourist minus the fanny pack. I had the camera in one hand and I had the map in the other hand and I was just ready to go. And the moment I step outside, I see something just incredibly jaw-dropping beautiful. A woman who was blocking my view of a pristine silver Ferrari Enzo. <laughs> I'm married, guys. Come on. Of a Ferrari Enzo. Yeah, I have one enthusiast there. Shame on the rest of you guys. This car is named after its maker and a car you don't see every day. And like I said, there was only one problem. The owner was standing in the way. So as I walked closer to observe the car, the young lady who was literally just standing there, leaning against the driver's door, looks at me, and in Korean she says, Nice car, huh? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and she goes, do you want to take a picture? And I'm like, 
yeah, I, I definitely want to take a picture. Thank you so much. And so there it was. I got my camera ready. And as I look through the lens, there she still is. <laughs> In the way, but this time posing big time. I'm not going to do it for you, okay? <laughs> and at that moment, just totally mesmerized by the beauty, the car, I mean, I had my camera and I gestured with my hands. <laughs> and she got mad. She then takes off her sunglasses, which, come to think of it, it was a pretty cloudy day. So, But she takes her glasses off and says, and I kid you not, do you know who I am? I was like, no. <laughs> she goes, my father is the vice president or the chairman of something, of Samsung or whatever. I stopped listening at that point. And I was like, I don't know how to respond to that. Am I supposed to fall down and worship her? Or what am I supposed to do? Well, she just gets mad at the fact that I wasn't responding the way that she wanted me to. And she huffs and and gets back into her car, and she drives up, and I kind of lose my chance to take a picture with, um, with this alleged daughter of some Samsung exec. I don't know who it was. Now, here's the thing. That was an example of me treating her differently because she had a Ferrari, but rather an example of a treatment she thought she deserved because she had a Ferrari, because she thought she had a high status for some reason. Now, I don't know. Maybe sometimes you feel that you are owed a certain um, response from people, from family members, from your peers, because of your status. This whole idea of judging a book by its, co by its cover is a very common practice, something that I'm sure we, we're all guilty of doing, including myself. But the bad thing about it is that it really just flies back into the face of the Christian faith. This type of thinking is whether, whether a person makes a lot of money and so therefore has much to offer goes against the very nature of God and his word. We as believers must be careful from believing in this nonsense that a person's value is somehow greater if they can do more or if they have more. That's why that age-old argument for being pro-life, that we shouldn't abort babies because they could be, and I've heard this so many times, used by so many pro-life advocates, they say, we should not abort babies because they could be the next Einstein or they could be the next uh, Bill Gates or the next Mozart. And that's such a ridiculous statement because they're saying that person's intrinsic worth is based on what they can offer, their utility, if you will. Abort this life. You can abort this one because they won't be able to contribute to society as much or, or whatever. You know who else thought that? Hitler. Our worth is not based on what we have or who we are. Our intrinsic worth is solely defined by God alone. Amen? No man, no woman, nothing in this world is allowed to ascribe any value upon that which God only has the right to do. I am who I am, and my worth is not dependent or contingent upon what you think, but about what God thinks. And man, did he love making you. This is the issue that God is addressing in this passage. The matter is partiality or prejudice or even favoritism. And that word means to prejudge. And in this case, 
prejudging based on someone's wealth and social status. That's what specifically this passage is saying. Prejudging based on someone's wealth or social status. Throughout Scripture, God, he condemns this kind of attitude. He condemns prejudice against the poor, favoritism towards the rich. And interestingly, he also even condemns prejudice against the rich and favoritism towards the poor. Just as it would be wrong for us to assume that all poor people are the way they are because something they did or didn't do. It would also be wrong for us to assume that people are rich because something they shouldn't have done. Now, how does prejudice impact our faith? And this is our first point. It impacts our faith because it obscures the glory of Jesus. It obscures the glory of Jesus. Now, I'm not the artsy one. If you know Pastor Esther, by the way, do you know she's my sister? Older sister. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> A lot of people think I'm older. Anyways, she's the, she's the art one. Art one. Artsy one. She's the one who graduated with a fine arts degree. She makes wonderful pieces of art. I wish that she would continue to do so. But I am no, I don't know art. I really don't know art. Even when I visited the Vatican, all that stuff, I, I look at something, I, I could do that. <laughs> I mean, the, I could not appreciate, but you know what? I don't own any fine art pieces by any famous artist. But let's say I were to somehow get a hand on some super expensive, super fancy masterpiece by Da Vinci. Let's just say. How would I display it? Would I go to Target and buy some cheap plastic frame with plexiglass to cover the painting? Then pick up some other cool posters, like some motivational posters of you know, someone doing a tandem bicycle, or some posters of kittens doing some silly things, or perhaps a few movie posters. I, I feel like I need to get like a Scarface poster or whatever it's called, right? And put it all together in my wall to make one big collage. Of course not. That'd be ridiculous. Mixing those posters with the real art would obscure the glory of the real work of art. Instead, that masterpiece by Da Vinci, whatever it is, it deserves and it demands the whole wall with a great frame illuminated with special lighting. This is how partiality or prejudice obscures the glory of Jesus. And let me explain, okay? The glory, that word glory used in verse 1 is a loaded word is truly a loaded word. And so it's the grammar that actually helps us understand this because glory is not some adjective describing Jesus. Instead, glory is, get this, who he is. He is glory. He is what defines glory, you see? So every time we see people or use words as glorious, we are stealing, stealing the essence of Christ. Jesus alone is glory. Nothing else. In the Gospel of John, we know that the Word of God became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Jesus is the glory of God. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the exact representation of God's being, and it continues on by saying that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is the glory of God who appeared to man 2,000 years ago and revealed the grace of God. That's why for us as Christians, all our focus must be upon the revealed glory of God, Jesus. We have to worship him. That's why it's in his name that we gather and worship together. That's why it's in his name our faith stands and rests on. It's in his name that we have the hope of salvation, and it's in his name that we have the hope of glory. It's all Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say this. It's all about Jesus. 
But what tends to happen is that the world, the whole world disagrees. The whole world has a different perspective. They believe in a glory as well, but a man-made glory, a man-centered glory, a glory of wealth, a glory of power, a glory of success, a glory of family, a glory of love, a glory of accomplishments, a glory of self, from self, to self, for the sake of self. And so this glory is portrayed by status symbols like we all know too well. Clothes, jewelry, cars, whatever you want to call homes. In fact, I read somewhere in an article that in New York City, no longer are, you know, if, if you've ever been to Manhattan, New York City, everyone's trying to one-up each other. Oh, you make six figures? Well, I make six, six figures and a half, right? Oh, you drive a Mercedes? Well, I drive a Ferrari. Oh, you have this ad- address? Well, I live on Park Avenue. Oh, you got a corner view of the Central Park? Well, I got a full view of Central Park. It just keeps going. But apparently right now, people are rubbing their status no longer through cars or homes, but now, but now by having more kids. That is the ultimate status symbol for them. More kids means, obviously, more money, which means you need more help, which means that you need more money for tuition to pay. There's, you see, there's even self-seeking glory in family. These are all the trappings of man-centered glory, people. So James, he sets it up for us here, that there's this obvious clash of perspectives because we as a church, we are called to celebrate Jesus and Jesus alone the glory of God. But here in this passage, we read of two guys who walk in, and one who is in possession of the world's glory, and the other one who doesn't have it. And so James throws out a question. He goes, how are we supposed to treat these two guys then? I'm sure everyone here knows this. In this world, typically the one with the most glory gets the most honor, but do you see how wrong that is? That preferential treatment has suddenly removed the glory from focus on God to the focus on man. Instead, we made a statement before that God, before God, that the glory of the world is greater than the one who is glory. You see, we as a church, we got to be careful. We as a church, we cannot do this. There was a deacon not too long ago, and this is so unfortunate, but a deacon who not too long ago told me, Pastor David, he says, Pastor Dave, you need to pray more for established young professionals and families to come into your ministry. That way, the EM ministry will have a core people to stand upon. No. We don't need more accomplished young professionals or more stable families to come. Our ministry does not and will not stand on shifting sands of young, established professionals or families. We don't need more stable or accomplished or wealthy people to come here to Shining Star English Ministry. We need the brokenhearted. We need the broken-spirited. We need those who are thirsty and those who hunger for God, those who live for God, those who are passionate for the glory of God, those who are willing to not boast in themselves but boast only in the cross. That will be our core. Those people will be our core. These are the people who will be called to celebrate upon the accomplished work of Christ, not their own. 
This is how the core is made, people. So we boast in his glory and not ours. Amen. We cannot be partial to people like ourselves at the expense of people who are different from us without corrupting the glory of Jesus' grace. We cannot allow wealth and success, the glory of the world's eyes, to become a factor when we select leaders of the church without spitting on the glory of Jesus. You know, there's a famed pastor, a pastor who I just love and respect, and I'm just reading more and more of him. Uh, pastor Mark Dever, if you're a D.C. native area, I'm sure you've heard of him. He's the senior pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Church has about 1,000 members, but he's a sought-after speaker, probably one of the most intelligent men I have ever heard. He's well-spoken and truly loves the Lord and his people. And at a conference, he said this. He said, I have five degrees. I got a bachelor, three masters, and a Ph.D., and he says, I would instantly give my church over to Pastor Trip Lee, who is this rapper pastor. And he goes, a man who does not have a master's, in fact, a man who doesn't even have an undergraduate degree, because this idea that you need to have degrees to serve and lead people is a carnal, worldly qualification. He says, if you love the word and you can preach the word and you live the word, then you are qualified by the grace of God to lead a church. I was floored. Is it, are you kidding me? Like, man, that's so true. Church is not supposed to be a gathering for got it together people. You want people who are, you want to congregate with God together. There's a Starbucks across the street. They all seem to have gotten it together. It's not a place for those who have no need for a Savior. May this church and this ministry be one that constantly, constantly, constantly seeks after the glory of God in all our brokenness, in all our sinfulness, seeking the redeeming love of Christ Jesus. But to focus on the glory of the world, the worldly glory of stability, the worldly glory of finance, the worldly glory of accomplishments, the worldly glory of success will only obscure the true glory of God. But there's another problem that occurs with partiality. Here's our second point and final point. It obstructs the work of God. When we cater to those who are rich and we neglect the poor, we are obstructing the work of God. Again, God, he's not prejudiced against the rich, but the reality is, just like the verse says, people who are wealthy and standing on top of the world tend to be the oppressors, not the oppressed. The rich tend to feel self-sufficient rather than desperate for God's help. They tend to long for the giftings of God rather than the giver that is God. But what's crazy is that God has announced that in his kingdom there will be a complete reversal. In his kingdom, completely reversed. There will be a justice that won't be polluted by privilege based on wealth. The poor who believe the gospel will be exalted over the rich who don't believe the gospel. In this world, wealth meant you're a somebody in this world, isn't it? If you got money, you're somebody. I mean, look at some of the Hollywood celebrities we flock after. There are so many who do nothing. And if they do something, their movies are horrible. But they're rich. And it's their wealth that captivates us. It's how they spend their summers. 
in wherever beach, Virginia Beach, no, like, and wherever they go, it's, it's the money that they spend. It captivates us in the eyes of the world, their ability to buy the hottest car, wear the hottest fashion, and, and live in the hottest zip code from the beginning. From the beginning, this is what God wants to desire. The church of Christ was intended to be filled with a bunch of nobodies. Do you know that? Even Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 26, Look at yourselves. Not many of you are wise or influential or of noble birth, yet God has chosen us who are weak, lowly, despised, nothing, so that the power and glory of his work are attributed only to him and not us. We have to start living and understanding that everything that we are, everything that we do, everything that we own, it is for the singular purpose of glorifying God. Everything. God, he works through the nomads. Praise God. I'm a nobody. His work generally prospers through those who say to God, as John did, Lord, you must increase and I must decrease. And that was the situation in his church that James was addressing. It's not to say that we should be poor or rich, but that we should take a lesson of how the poor understood the glory of God. Because, see, that though they were poor, they had confidence that they were chosen by God, and so therefore were rich in their faith. Now, though they were poor and insignificant in the eyes of the world, they knew that they were heirs of the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Now, though they knew that they were, they were poor and people would just dismiss them, oh, they knew they loved the Lord and they were loved by him. And though they were poor in the eyes of the world, and they had nothing. But because they had Jesus, the glory of God, they actually possessed all things. Do you have that kind of faith? Jesus, all I need is you. All I need is you, Lord. Because they knew that their suffering and present difficulties were only a momentary inconvenience. So they patiently and faithfully awaited the perfection of the kingdom of God in all its glory. You see, people, this is how God sees the world, okay? It has absolutely nothing to do with all our acclaim and prestige. It has nothing to do with our zip codes or whether you can afford a silver Ferrari because at the end of the day, when the Lord finalizes all things here in this world, there will be a great reversal. A great reversal where the last shall be first and the ones who so desperately want to be first shall be last. That's what we must celebrate in our salvation, in the glory of God who is Christ. Not in the other things. Yes, be happy if you get promotion. Absolutely. I'm not saying don't do that. Be happy for your friend or your husband or your spouse, whomever it is, if they do well in life. Absolutely. But you know what? Our truest and most complete joy must come from Christ alone. We must celebrate in our salvation because our salvation is the glory of God and Christ that we enjoy right now and forever. And it wasn't something we did anything to deserve or earn. Our salvation had nothing to do with your upbringing or socioeconomic status. Your salvation had nothing to do with your degrees or your influence. Salvation has nothing to do with even the hard life that you lived and that somehow God somehow owes you now. No, that's pride. Salvation has nothing to do with anything we've done, but by the grace of God alone, I stand before you. 
You cannot be good enough. You cannot be bad enough. For in the eyes of God, all people have failed him. All people. And we all continue to fail him every single day. For we all fall short of the glory of God. Just because you go to seminary and become a pastor does not qualify you. Just because you make billions and single-handedly eradicate malaria like Bill Gates will not qualify you either. Because at the end of our lives, and I end with this, we'll be standing before a perfect and holy and righteous God. In Him there is no sin, blameless, upright, perfect, and in His presence of His complete perfection, there will be no words we can say to justify our admission into His presence. We can't say, but God, I did this. He says, it's not good enough. But God, I, was, I went to church, I was a deacon, I was an elder, I was a pastor, I was a lay worker. What all that stuff? He says, it does nothing. But God, I was a good parent. I was a good child, good son, good daughter. No, it does not mean anything. You see, there will be nothing that we can say or do to justify our admission into his presence. No, Christ has to come in. Jesus has to walk in and he must come forth and say, Father, you have purchased, purchased him, and you have purchased her through my blood that was shed. I have paid for their sins in full. You have accepted that payment in full, and they are now completely and fully clothed in my righteousness, clothed in my death, clothed in my life, clothed in my resurrection that qualifies them. Rich or poor, educated or not, useful or useless, good or bad, nothing but the blood of Jesus can reconcile us back to the Father. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Therefore, we must celebrate in his glory and only for his glory. Amen? Bow with me. Lord, who are we to stand before a holy, perfect sinless, righteous God and demand anything. To demand fairness, to demand life, to demand goodness, freedom, to, good, to demand joy. Lord, who are we? What right do we have? And yet, Lord, here you are in our presence and you have elected and chosen some and I hope many here to receive your salvation through your son Jesus Christ and it is not by any merit of our own. It was not because we ended up saying, yeah, you know what, I think I'll change. No, no. I mean, how hard is it to even walk in faith as a Christian? It was nothing that we have done or could do or will ever do, Lord. No, it was simply by your grace that you lifted us out. And because of your love, you extended your arm and you saved us and adopted us and called us your own. Father, I pray that that truth would hit heavily upon our hearts and our minds today, this moment, and we would see our desperate need for a Savior, for only you can save us. There is no other way. 
There's no other path. There's no other route that also goes up into that mountain as a lot of people think. No. Jesus, you are the only way, the truth, and the life. That is it. You are it. And if we don't get that, Father, by your grace, would you open our eyes? If we don't get that, Lord, would you, by your grace, open our minds? If we still feel like we have to live up to some standard and be good enough or be moralistic or whatever, God, would you, would you shake us and wake us up to know that we can only fall upon the bed of your grace than by the bed of our works? We are saved by faith alone in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I want to give you guys a brief moment just to pray a prayer before the Lord, to the Lord. Wherever you stand before him, would you open your heart and be vulnerable and transparent right now because the Lord, he knows when you're being fake. He knows when you're just doing the prayer as opposed to when you are praying as a sinner, seeking seeking restoration, seeking help. So I want to give you guys just a moment and pray. And genuinely, just in your own words, you don't have to throw out any type of theological words to impress God. No, he knows it. He knows everything about you. He just wants you to be you. Pray to him. Seek his heart. Open your heart to him. Let's take a moment and pray. Let's pray. Mm-hmm.